You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. So now what? Well, you can join me, Pastor Allen, and my colleague, Pastor Carissa, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. This is Season 2, Episode 6, the third Sunday after Epiphany. Did you know, Alan, that we have like 100 listeners at this point? 100 listeners? Really? In that ballpark. The problem is that when you only have 100 listeners, you it's hard to get like accurate reads on how many listeners you have. Well, but didn't one thing, you just say we have 100 listeners? That sounds accurate. Ish. I said ish. <laughs> but what would be great is if each of them would go and rate us on whichever podcast platform they use, because that would help get the word out about soft idolatry. Really? How would that help get the word out? The more ratings a podcast has, the more it shows up in people's searches and the more the news goes out. Ah, the news. What's going on in the news with you this week, Carissa? Oh, my goodness. There is a lot in the news. Australia's on fire. Puerto Rico's shaking apart at the seams. There is a lot of... uh, Ash in the Philippines. Ash in the Philippines. Um, Yeah, there's like a lot of hard stuff happening in the world right now. It's actually kind of hard to preach when we have access to so much news all the time. Yes. Because we always know what's happening, and it's hard to narrow down what the problems are that we should be addressing. Yes, there is always a disaster somewhere. And and there is always somebody passing whose, whose absence is felt by me or by you or some member of our communities. For me, that uh, that absence today is the passing of the comedic giant, Terry Jones, uh, of, of Monty Python fame. And uh, someone who really helped to shape my developing sense of humor as a young person. I think that's true for many of us in our uh, generation, uh, that that was kind of fundamental to the development of our sense of humor. It probably explains a lot about Generation X, actually, now that I think about yes. it in that context. Yes, yeah. without a doubt. Um, you know, that, that that infusion of a completely different set of comedic voices that were unlike American comedy and uh, completely absurd and that drew on so many references that made no sense culturally to us that we just kind of had to go with it. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, just the absolute absurdity of it all. I, the first time I actually heard an F-bomb dropped mm-hmm. uh, was when a foreign exchange student who was living with us at the time was watching Monty Python on TV. There was some Monty Python sketch. I don't know if he had like a video tape of it or something like that. But that was the first time. And I remember like, what is that word? What does that <laughs> mean? I've never heard that before. My favorite um, expression of Monty Python is the film The Life of Brian. And uh, it, it still remains a favorite despite all of its sacrilege and its um, utter disregard for organized religion. 
uh, there, there is so much in there to absolutely love. I have to say that the life of Brian is probably, probably my favorite Python movie as well. Uh, there, it's just something about the sacrilege, the absurd mm-hmm. sacrilege of it all that is just absolutely hysterical. Um, I think it's a good reminder for us not to take ourselves too seriously. I know some people get yes. wound up about stuff like the life of Brian, but I just think it's funny. And um, and Terry Jones had one of the best lines in that movie. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Although I will say, uh, I think my favorite sketch of theirs, though, was the... Um, the dead parrot. Mm. I'm I'm partial to uh, to the the spam sketch. That's also a good one. That's also a good one. I like comedy. Mm-hmm. I I don't know who knows this about. I like I love stand up comedy. Uh, in general, I like a really good stand up comic. One of my favorites is Eddie Izzard. And I, it's there's something about the irreverence of mm, someone like yes. like the Monty Python troupe or Eddie Izzard or uh, someone like that that is just owning the tension in a brash way. And it, it's such a good release when we're in this world that is full of things like Australia on fire and Puerto Rico falling apart and um, and impeachment trials and oh my gosh, yeah. primary elections and soon general elections. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in the, the church today, we've, you know, there's all this angst over the dwindling mainline denominations and elderly little churches. Oh, my gosh. I saw there's an article going around on Facebook right now. I don't know if you saw this about a Methodist church in Minnesota. Yes, I tried to read that, and I was told that uh, I, th- that I had accessed all of my articles with that newspaper, which I don't think I'd ever accessed right. before. <laughs> it's like some little podunk newspaper from Minnesota. Uh, there was another one that I had seen on another another site, and the way that they are framing it in the news is that this church has had like twenty elderly people or older people. They're calling them. And they are asking those 20 people to go to another church for a while while they do a church plant there to attract young families. But at no point in the article did it like quote anyone from the denomination or anyone in that church's leadership, not the article I saw anyway, stating it was because they were old. And so I'm wondering if it was they were. Yeah, that was that was my thought, too, is that uh you know, this is, uh, and, and this is going to lead us right into our text, but. That's why I went there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't just like rambling about the news. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yes, th- this is uh, one of those things that, because uh, we had this discussion in a Bible study, a morning Bible study this week, and uh, that there is a certain set of our older members who, and, and I use older rather loosely because this, this extends to some baby boomers too, mm-hmm. who get really upset about the way that uh, young people communicate. 
the way that they are glued to their phones and they are yeah. always texting and whatnot. And, uh, and yet they, the older generations kind of refuse to learn to use the channels of communications that younger people use, even though it was the older generations that actually invented those channels of communication. <laughs> so we are, you know, we create these things and then our kids and grandkids learn to use them better than we do, even though we created them more or less. And then we get upset that they're using the things that we created that we actually haven't taken the time as a, as a group to learn how to use. And then we get upset that they don't communicate with us, even though they are just using the things that we gave them. I'm not quite sure your connection is crystal clear, at least to me. So uh, the people who remained are older, and I would certainly wonder how effective they are at communicating with people uh, who don't look like them generationally. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, we've got all these divisions and divides, and we're going to see this this uh, um, this particular theme come up in the scriptures this week, and that's one of the huge divides divisions that we see culturally right now is especially millennials versus boomers. I don't know about you, but a lot of Xers feel mm -hmm. like uh, hello, we're right here mm -hmm. running things while you guys argue. Um, but yeah, you get like this generational divide and it, it really has a lot to do with communication and communication patterns. Yeah. Um, and we've got huge political divides, not just in our country, but a lot of the Western world is experiencing similar political yeah, divides. I, I mean, look at Britain right now. Right. I, I, I think if you go all across, um, all across Europe and other parts of the world too, uh, so yeah, I, what what we're experiencing here is being experienced in many other places in slightly different formats. But yeah, it's it's really common, and I do think there is a lot of generational angst in our nation that fuels our political divide. I agree. There, there are just so many, um, so many ways that we set ourselves into camps, and we, you know, we've got this biological, psychological, chemical need to like tribalize ourselves, which once upon a time was for protection and safety and carrying on genetics and all of that, but now it just winds up making comments worse on <laughs> <laughs> online. Well, I, I mean, I think um, I think that some of the people on the other side of the divide see this as, see the division as a good thing because they fear for their identity and they are trying to preserve a particular kind of American identity, and uh, they very much want to whip up frenzy and draw bright dividing lines and get people who look like them on their side of the line. What do you think is the biggest force behind these dividing lines? I always, I always name it as being fear 
specifically fear of other? Because mm-hmm. we see this in the church too. Uh, with without a doubt, fear is part of it, and I don't know. I don't. It's not just fear. I see it as a case of misplaced identity. Uh, mm. A lot of people who take a lot of Americans who take the name Christian don't realize how much they are American Christians and not Christians who are from America. And there is an identity in a part of the culture that is very much outside of identity in Christ. And they, in my opinion, many people are sort of worshiping a vision of America from the past, which is also a very incomplete vision and ignores lots of bad stuff that was going on in the 50s and 60s. And going back farther. And going back farther. Lots of more bad stuff, yeah. Yes. Um, But but the, the vision that... The vision of America, the cultural vision of America that people seem to worship is from the 50s and 60s, from the the 50s and early 60s. And though though the negative threads of racism and of various various cultural clashes uh, go much farther back than just the 50s and 60s, the vision is of this post-war America as as the fulfillment of all God's promises. And that just ain't so. No. Um, I want to get into the scripture passages and then yeah. pick this thread back up, because we've touched on a couple of things here that I feel like we can weave together I think you're right. So what, uh, before we dive into the texts, what is your sermon title? My sermon title is When Darkness Creeps. And I'm going to be dwelling in this, the feelings of um, despair and darkness that we can fall into in these times of great disaster and seeing the church dwindle, specifically looking at the decline in the mainline American Protestant church. Uh, because that's really where a lot of the the fear and angst are for the folks in my context. How about yours? Mine is leaving the nets, and it is, of course, a an anagram for leaving the nest. Um, but it's it's also a reference to the gospel text and the question of what we are willing to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. I am primarily using the Matthew text, but I'm actually going to be chanting the psalm this week. Uh, I don't know if you've chanted psalms before, but I really love chanting them. I No, I have never chanted psalms before, uh, but I'll actually, be happy to take my headphones off if you want to chant now. Why would you take them off? Come on, man. No, I'm not actually going to chant this psalm now. Um, if people want to hear me chant a psalm, they'll just have to come to church on Sunday morning <laughs> sometime. Um, and the psalm this week is Psalm 27, verse 1, and then verses 4 through 9. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then on to verse 4. One thing I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. I am also making the gospel text my primary text, but my other reading uh, is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And I'm going to use this to set up the problems of not following Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is of foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's one of those passages I love so much, more and more the longer I'm in ministry. Mm -hmm. because I feel like I have had conversations like this where you're like, guys, you know what? (laughs) Oh, poor Paul. Yes. Poor Paul. And he didn't even have the book of order to go by yet. (laughs) So our primary text this week is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter four, verses 20 or verses, sorry, 12 through 23. I am going to add on two verses. This is something I know you are also doing, and I'll let you explain why after I have read this, but I will note where the break in the lectionary is. You and got it. continue reading. So beginning in chapter four, verse 12. Now, when he, 
Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's where the lectionary stops but I plan on continuing through in verse 24 and 25. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I really think we need to add verses 24 and 25 because it really drives home the message that Jesus' word is spreading all over the region and it is spreading to Gentile places. Uh, Syria, the Decapolis, which is uh, 10 little towns or cities inside of Palestine that are predominantly, if not entirely, Gentile settlements, it is very clear that the gospel writer is saying this message is for everyone. Yeah, and that's an important part of the message coming out of Epiphany into ordinary time. It's the reason that those kind of collide funny is because in the 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 Catholic, the Roman Catholic calendar, Um, there isn't a season of epiphany. It goes into ordinary time and ordinary time is the time where we're neither really looking forward or ahead to Easter or Christmas. Uh, But at the Protestant church tends to focus a little more on epiphany. So you get these interesting. These stories, yes, of people uh, suddenly realizing the nature of Jesus, uh, the nature of, God's plan to reach out into all the world and uh, just this play between light and darkness that we see in a lot of prophetic words from the Hebrew scriptures that we read and which get echoed in the gospel stories. Right. Um, I, I, I did some, some reading today on this Matthew passage and It's interesting because this particular passage in Scripture comes right after the baptism of Christ and the temptation of Christ 
And then you've got this little blurb about calling a couple of disciples. And then you launch into the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this gets glossed over sometimes as being like, oh, and then he calls a couple of disciples. But there is a lot of really rich and interesting stuff happening here. I know from from my particular context, looking at these two small congregations that are trying to figure out how to revitalize and do not plan on kicking everybody out and starting over <laughs> for the record. I think that's terrible pastoral care. Um this is exciting because if we're modeling ourselves after Jesus and after the ministry of Jesus, this is where it really starts. This is where he gets down to business. And he is, first of all, you know, withdrawing and preparing himself. You know, he finds out that John has been arrested. So the end of the proclamation of his coming is over. He done came. He's there. Um, and he goes into this fringe place. Um, Capernaum's clear up at the north, the top end of the Sea of Galilee, which is really, it's not a sea, it's a giant lake. It's fresh water. It is fresh water. Yeah, it's not a sea by our definitions at all. Um, and and that's about a four-day walk. I've walked that walk. <laughs> it's about four days. It, it feels like this is just such a short, oh, and he just like, you know, zipped up the road to Capernaum. Nope, that was a hike, including like some cliffs you have to go down. And um, and he goes into this fringe area that was known for two of the tribes of Israel that nobody ever thinks about at all. And it's interesting because as he begins to this ministry, one of my commentaries put it this way. It was really, really funny. Um, let me find it. This is from the Connections commentary. Uh, Why does Jesus' message about God's kingdom begin with a call to repent? This is a terrible sales strategy. <laughs> you do not make a demand on a customer before you sell them the benefits. I suppose that it worked for Jesus because the listeners already had a solid vision of the benefit. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Very often the church has called people to repentance without making clear the vision of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has been presented as an equivalent to going to heaven after one dies rather than what it is, the active presence of God in one's life, in the world, and in all creation. That's such powerful language there to think about um, the reason that Jesus calls to repentance are heard is because his vision of the kingdom is so strong. And one of the biggest complaints I hear from people about the church is that it's all judgment and no action. Yeah, I I have definitely heard that too. I hear that from people who have left the church. Yes. I hear that a lot at funerals. Yes. Um, you know, that, that people will say, oh, that was a lovely message that you gave. I, I stopped going to the church 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And I just thought everybody there was a judgmental hypocrite. Right. And that's sad mm-hmm. that... That's the impression that that people are getting. That that's that that is the witness that the church is leaving in the world is that it's all all judgment and hypocrisy. We are doing a really terrible job of announcing God's kingdom here on earth. Yeah, and when we don't do that, it sort of 
turns the kingdom of God into this future when I die thing that I have to work my way into, which goes against every notion of grace that we as reformed Christians hold dear. And it really just warps the witness of scripture. It really does. It really does. Um, and this this connects back to our original topics of insularity and nostalgia, both at a national level, which is where you've expressed uh, in your context, the angst seems to be centered, but also in regards to church community, which is where in my context, the angst seems to be centered. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of, of repentance is not, um, is not so simply, I will stop doing these bad behaviors and start doing righteous behaviors. It's, I will change my heart and mind and follow Jesus. And that repentance, that change, is something that I think we are unwilling to do as a society and often unwilling to do in our own congregations. We want to be more vital as congregations. We want to see more people in the pews, but we are not willing to make the changes that would say, allow us to connect to people of other generations or to reconnect with people who left the church because they remember what the church was like in the 70s and 80s, and they didn't like it then, so why would they possibly like it now? And I think that this is a, a fundamental question in these political debates too, right? What are the steps to vitality? How do we make our country vital mm -hmm. and strong and all of that? Um, and it's always easier to go back and say, well, this is what worked the last time we felt vital, so right. this is what should work now too, without paying honor to the changes in science and technology and communication right. and all of that. And, and, and without acknowledging that other people have a different view of what vitality is, whether it's for the church or the community or the larger society. And the easiest thing to do is to try to uh, get your tribe together and brand everyone else a heretic and uh, label the other side as the enemy. And that doesn't necessarily get that many more people in your pews. Right. And in fact, I think it gets less people in your pews. It doesn't just necessarily, not necessarily get you more people. I think it necessarily drives people away. Yes, it, it'll, it'll, you, you, you might see more people of, of a similar feeling in your pews if you're the only game in town. But yes, it will drive away some people who are already there. And certainly it will drive away that person who thought about coming back to church and, and then found something scary, uh, something scary in the church members. <laughs> I mean, Jesus can be plenty scary. But uh, the church members can be an altogether different kind of scary. 
They can. And that's why I'm so interested to follow this story about this church that is asking its members not to come back because I, I cannot fathom a case in which it was because of their age and not because of their refusal to engage in new ways. You, you are so right. And I agree. I want more information about this story. The, the surface can't be uh, all that's going on. Yeah. And, and I will acknowledge the fact that I tend to be a little bit idealistic and there are some really rotten people in the world. And it's entirely possible there is someone who's like, nope, we just have to get rid of the old people to get the young people to come in. That's terrible. <laughs> if that is the case, that's dumb and not pastoral mm-hmm. at all. But sometimes, if there are people standing in the way of making real connections and exploring new manners of vitality. And refusing to take on new modes of communication, refusing to reach out to new people. Yeah, and that's, I, I wonder... Yeah, I need, I want more information on that one, I think. And everybody's going a little bit like, what are they talking about? I was like, ah, I'm reading, there's probably more to it. Um, and I, these, I, I think it's the same thing happening at a church level, at a denominational level, at a American Christianity level, and at an American political level, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I think problems with immigration and church insularity are kind of the same thing, right? Those refugees are sitting in my pew. <laughs> what if they, what if they come in and sit in my pew? Um, right. And, and, you know, there are all sorts of refugees out there. We're not just talking about people who left a dangerous social and political situation in another nation. They could be refugees from the city, refugees from the suburbs. They could be refugees from a toxic congregation. There are all kinds of refugees. Yeah, and and when we get into these, these tribalistic mindsets, um, these divisions that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians... We miss the opportunities to declare the kingdom in a concise and engaging way like Jesus does. And nobody's going to want to be a part of that community. No, it, it is. It, we, we collectively love to get up and say, I belong to Apollos or I belong to Paul or I belong to the Democratic Party or I belong to the Republican Party or all of those things, rather than, as Christians anyhow, standing up and saying, I belong to Jesus. It's one of the things that makes church mergers so difficult, (laughs) because (laughs) you have to, at least one congregation, if not both, have to give up their physical location, Hmm? and both have to give up their name. Right. And people get so used to saying, I belong to such and such Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic church. And Mm -hmm. when you change that name or that building, it can feel like losing part of your identity because we've been identifying with the wrong thing 
the mm-hmm. right thing being Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom. Would a rose by any other name smell so sweet? Yes. <laughs> uh, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? We should ask a... oh, I was going to say we should ask a lumberjack. <laughs> I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. <laughs> I sleep all night and I work all day. I wish I had slept all night. <laughs> but that's another is, story. Yeah, no, yeah getting old is not for the not, faint of heart. It is not good. It beats the alternative is what I like to tell people. It does most <laughs> of the time. I had one more thought and it's gone now because I have the Lumberjack song running through my head. <laughs> well, let's, let's, uh, let's save that for the end of the podcast. <laughs> but the... Everybody's tuning out now. Yeah. (laughs) They're not going any farther. Nope. The the short answer is that we also need humor to get us through these challenging times. Mm -hmm. We need to be reminded that there is still something to laugh at, that there is more good in the world than bad, and that we can be the light in the darkness. Yeah. Don't don't take yourself too seriously you're not the messiah you're just a very naughty boy (laughs) well played thank you i do what i can i'm here all week don't forget to tip your waitress um but yeah you know don't don't take yourselves too seriously engage in laughter and bright connections and look for the hopefulness and the good in the world because that is how we can help to point to the kingdom then is um, by remembering that there is still goodness in the world. Shall I pray us out? That would be delightful. Okay. God of grace and mercy, we give you thanks for light in the midst of darkness. We give you thanks for laughter and love and friendship. We give you thanks for all of the points of light that guide us along this journey. We ask that you continue to shine your light and that you direct us to spread that light into the darkness in this season and every season. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, Make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, friends, that you can email us at any time at info at softidolatry.com. Send us your questions, your comments, uh, themes you might like to hear us engage with in scripture. And if you'd like to get links to connect to us on Facebook or Instagram to get show notes or to find out how to help support this show financially, you can do so at www.softidolatry.com. And please, friends, just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving, revolving at 900 miles an hour, 
It's orbiting at 90 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, the freshwater system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? What did he say? I think it was, blessed are the cheesemakers. Blessed are the cheesemakers? I believe it's a metaphor that implies that applies to all industrial manufacturers of dairy products. Look, you've got it all wrong. You don't need to follow me. You don't need to follow anybody. You've got to think for yourselves. You're all individuals. We're all We're individual. all individuals. <laughs> we need to sync that up. <laughs> or cut that one. All right. I, I think we've exhausted everyone. <laughs> yes, we have. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week.